Trey Blocker Show, starring Trey Blocker and Charlie Hodge, featuring special guest, Texas Comptroller Glenn Hager. Good day, everyone. This is Trey Blocker, and welcome to episode number two of the Trey Blocker Show. We are very pleased uh, today to have as our special guest, Comptroller Glenn Hager. Uh, Mr. Comptroller, how are you today? Good to be with you. I'm great. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here. We're we're, going to walk through a couple quick notes about your background just to give... uh, Everyone listening out there, a little understanding of who you are and where you come from. Comptroller Hager is a sixth-generation Texas Texan. He lives in Katy, Texas with his wife, Dara, and his beautiful children, Julia, Jonah, and Claire. Uh, he was first elected to the Texas House of Representatives in 2002, and he was then elected to the Texas Senate in 2006 and elected Comptroller of the state of Texas in 2014. So one of the things that I've always wondered. I, I've been in politics. You and I have known each other for a long time, but I've been running around this area for a long time. But one thing that's always, I've always had doubt in my mind about is your title, Comptroller, right. is spelled with a P. Right. But I've heard a lot of folks running around this business for a long time, especially kind of the older generation, right. who, and they'll say controller. Is it Comptroller? Or is it controller? Yeah, it's kind of funny. During the campaign, if anyone noticed, during the TV commercials, I said controller. Because right. I just figured, hey, you know, it, it looks C-O-M-P. You got it up there. And if you say controller, people would be like, why would I vote for this guy? I mean, he, <laughs> he can't even pronounce the word. So right. during the campaign commercials, you'll see I said controller. But technically, it is pronounced controller. And so that's the verbiage that I use. And I laugh in the building because each – um. What was it one of one of my associate deputies? Uh, somebody was asking him about it. Said, "Well, what, you know, how how do you pronounce it? Which one is it?" Right. And he said, "Well, I worked for Comptroller Susan Combs, and I worked for Controller Glenn Hager." <laughs> she it, it she, depends. Yeah, she preferred Comptroller. It depends on each administration. It definitely Thanks. softens it. Controller sounds <laughs> like the old days. You're on a chain gang. Controller yeah. bathroom break. You're gonna <laughs> have to like approve every one. Right. You got you got right. the money. You control but, it. So I, I have, you know, the past couple of years, I guess right after you got elected, heard a different iteration of the word. Your son Jonah, who... Oh, yes. Jonah's Compa. how old? He's, he's eight now. And he says, Compatroller. Compatroller. Compatroller, yeah. That's how he pronounced it. And even in the family, that's kind of the verbiage in the show. Even my, a lot of my staff, they know that. Uh, they'll say, hey, it's Compatroller Hager Compa-troller. walking down the hallway, <laughs> for, as Jonah Hager says. Had a little hard time rolling that, uh, that P there. Gotcha. We you need to get a look. You give him a look like, yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah, I, he's, I, a, he's a kid. He's a kid. He's a kid. <laughs> we need to get that added to Wikipedia. Com- okay. Controller. Comptroller. Compatroller. Compatroller. I mean, you got to have options. Jonah would be proud. He would yeah. be proud. We'll make that happen. He got it. He got it in the book. Charlie Hodge here knows uh, knows the people who, who run Wikipedia, so we'll talk. He can <laughs> make it happen. I'm one of them. We all are. Well, it's run true. by the people. That's true. Now, that would be yeah. a good question for that man on the street. Like they do on the late night talk shows, ask people walking down Sun, uh, Sunset Boulevard, what's the difference between comptroller and controller? And they hardly know who the vice president is right. usually. So. Right, that's right. So that's we'll right. have to send Allison, the intern, out uh, to down the streets of Congress in Austin, Texas, and have her ask that question. Her internship is going to be like a, a spinning license plate on fire <laughs> when she looks back on this. Yes, uh, you know, hopefully she'll look back on it with fond memories. So w- we have a we have an intern 
She's a political communications major at the okay. University of Texas. I didn't know there was such a thing as a political communications major to begin with, but I guess they have everything these days. So she's helping with production and, and research. She helped uh, put together this okay. wonderful bio also, on you. I saw that. Uh, I bet you learned some I things. I learned some things about myself, <laughs> yes, so when I read that earlier. It was very impressive. She did a great job with it. And we've got some really tough questions in here that Allison, the intern, put together. But let's start off. Let's let's go back to your background. You're, you're not mm-hmm. really a politician. You're a farm boy from, right. from Katie. T- right. Tell us about growing up on the farm yeah no as uh you know some some folks know my family got here in the mid 1800s 1848 was my line that came here so I grew up on a family farm mostly at the time we grew mostly rice some other crops as well so uh you know rice production that that's not necessarily a uh an easy easy background I mean it's hard work it's hot in the summer Hockley Texas Highway 290 coming out of Houston you blink you miss it it's not a big town but obviously Houston's growing out towards us as it is today. And so, I mean, I literally grew up out there, even though we didn't live on the family farm. I was always out there every summer during spring breaks. I always went back, summers, Christmases, you name it. And so I think if anything, one, it just taught you a hard work ethic, you know, and the fact is uh, there's nothing more humbling than you can put all this work into something. And before you even get it up out of the ground and put it in the grain elevator where then you translated into dollars when you sell it is hurricane comes up and uh, lays it all down or some type of storm where it kind of destroys everything you've done or you put all your crops in the ground you get them up and then it's floods like we've had recently and it destroys everything you know and so part I think it part it teaches you um, you work hard but sometimes, you know, God giveth and God taketh away. That's right. And, and, and you thank can't God control for, it. Thank God for crop insurance. Yes, yes, right. yes. Man, what a risk. I, mean, I never really thought about it. It kind of makes you think farmers take a huge gamble every year. Yeah, I mean, just no, on I mean, whether you, or not it's going to even pan out. That's right. When, Men when of you, faith. When you said that, uh, people always ask me about, you know, expansion of gambling because that comes up every session. And, and as a, I'm not a policymaker anymore, but when I was a legislator, and I'll still give the, kind of the same point is that, I don't gamble. I, did, I think I gambled 20 bucks one time, and I lost it within a couple minutes, and I was like, forget this. I'm out of this joint, and I've just never put another dollar down. I just, But I don't care. That's other people's money. It's your money. Do with it right. what you want. Right. But then come back full around that growing up a farmer, having a partnership interest, and then people, you can kind of see the light go off, and they go, wait, but you do gamble. Yeah, <laughs> right. with a lot of money every year. <laughs> sure. But unlike in the casino, Yes, you have insurance, and insurance obviously won't make you 100% whole, but it lessens the risk, obviously, of what you have out there. But, I mean, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I've, you know, you get to be outdoors a lot. I uh, miss it quite often. Sure. Um, but at the same time, that's just uh, I still get to go out there and spend some time with my kids every so often because it's not that far from Katie where we call home. Right. Well, and technology has changed a lot uh, right. when it comes to farming. I remember a year or two ago having a conversation with you. I had called you to talk about something, and we are talking on the phone. We would probably been talking for 20 minutes, and I said, well, what are you up to? And you said, I'm on the tractor. Yeah, yeah. Which shocked me. I heard no noise. Yeah. I mean, it's you're in an air-conditioned cab jamming out to ACDC or whatever you're doing, right? Not a Nautilus yeah. tractor. Yeah, I mean, an it's actual a, tractor. a real one, yes. <laughs> no, because you talk about the technology. I mean, I had a constituent, longtime friend of mine, her son was home from tech. He had to do a report on some elected official. Said, could he come out? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm in my office. And so she said, oh, well, I'll have him come to Katie. And I said, no, 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 I'm in my other office. She said, oh, you're in Austin. I said, no, 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 I'm in the one in Hockley. And she goes, so that's your farm. And I said, yeah, I'm in my mobile office. 
She was like, what do you mean? I said, I'm driving a tractor. And so he came out, long point story short, is that all the technology that goes into it, is, is he was just amazed. And uh, she had called me later when he had left and he got back home and was saying all, you know, kind of what goes on. I mean, they drive themselves, self-automated. Sure. You know, uh, all the all the different computer screens and things of, of the processes that, that what we were doing at the time. And she just went on and on about how amazed he was. And then at the end she went, oh, yeah, and appreciate you answering his questions because, yeah, he thought you were interesting too. <laughs> <laughs> but Great. the tractor was more interesting. Yes. Well, not to be it uncouth. It was a humbling experience, let me just say. Not to be uncouth, but these tractors – these are not the rusted out things you see sitting under an old oak tree. A new tractor, I mean, not once again, not to be, un- but that's like a million bucks. I mean, it's uh, a serious investment for a you, farm, you right? You can spend up to that amount. I mean, a I'm lot thinking I guess maybe those big grain reapers with the big. Yeah, a lot, lot of them. I mean, you're talking about a good of what you're going to need is a good quarter of a million dollars, half Jeez. a million, million dollars on wow. certain piece of equipment. Uh, that's that's a nice house. Yeah, it is. And real quick, just technically rice farming. I'm picturing it, it's like flooded acreage of water. It's almost like a marsh. Is that accurate? Like, yeah, once, once uh, if this table here was dirt and soil, once you plant it, then you let it get up a certain ha- amount of height because it, it literally lives in water. And once it gets up so high, then you put water on it, and it absorbs and uh, grows okay. the rice. Unlike uh, different crops that, you know, it rains or you irrigate it, but literally it sits in water. Okay. And then you drain it take all the water off or let it evaporate when it's the time to harvest it because you need it to get firm again. So it, but it's, it's, it's a lot of work. It was so the landscape humbling. of Katie must have been ideal or it's I guess flat, flat. Yeah, yeah. It's flat. Cause back in the 1800s, irrigation was right. somewhat limited. So right. it must've right. done need, that naturally. Yeah, you need, you need flat. flat it was the surfaces, right place. Right? Yeah, so that, that surfaces. is a good question. I mean, when your ancestors were roaming around there in the mid 1800s, Maybe you know the answer to this. Maybe you don't. But how how do you think they stood there and looked around and said, "We're going to go grow rice. <laughs> Stay well, here." <laughs> you know, it, it interesting. Right. We didn't start growing rice until um, the 1940s. Okay, and that was uh, World War II, and so that was a crop that was needed at the time, and they started producing. Before that, they had other crops. But I mean, I laugh because I see the old pictures of German descendants that came over here, and they thought it was you know the flyers back over there showed there were hills everywhere. <laughs> Not when you landed in Galveston. Uh, right. It was pretty desolate back right. then. Well, you had to travel up to Fredericksburg, Texas, that's to find, right. find a finally, couple of hills. Finally get a couple of hills, yeah. yes. And that's just a big And there's still not the mountains just a big that they got ant over hill. there. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. I wonder if y'all's clans have ever commingled before in all the six generations of, of you two. That's a good question because in our, in, our, yeah. uh, in our first show, we talked about that. I'm a sixth-generation Texan as well. And Allison was doing research on you, and I saw that in the in the background, and that occurred to me. So my ancestors came over here from Germany. Some of them settled oh, in never knew S- that. South Carolina, and then a handful came to Texas and mm. became big cattle ranchers. So they owned ranches throughout South Texas, Mexico, and Brazil even, I think, back mm. in the day. Of course, they squandered it all before it got to me. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Of course. Assholes. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, the blocker creed right there. That's right. I'm just picturing a duel. You, y'all's ancestors could have been buddies or duel. I mean, sixth generation. You, you never know. You don't Texas know. becomes a small place when you've been around that long. You know, I again, we, we try to protect the innocent on this show, so I won't name names, but I got a call from a buddy of mine the other day who's from Laredo, and he said, you know, do you have, an an- have a relative named John Blocker? It's a pretty common name. I've got an uncle named John Blocker, but there's really no reason that right. he'd know this person, right? And so I just texted back. I said, yeah. And uh, 
he said, he texted me back and he said, he killed my great-great-grandfather. So is the feud still going on? Well, I know it may be rekindled, but I said, what are you talking about? And he sent me a clip, uh, a, a photo, a screenshot of this book that he's reading, and supposedly, allegedly, mm. and according to this book, and I've done a lot of research on my family, and I've never run across this story, but according to the book he was reading, my, it would have been my great-great-uncle, John Blocker, mm. apparently, or supposedly, allegedly, hired the Texas Rangers to kill his great-great-grandfather over a piece of land or something crazy. So, And, and over text, you can't ever judge emotion over Mm-mm. text, right? No. <laughs> it's so hard. I didn't know how, if he was, like, legitimately mad and he was going to show up on my door with a, you know, pistol. I, but, you may yeah. want to check if you still got relations with the Texas Rangers. You guys might still be in good standing as I may, clients. I may, I may need some protection. <laughs> That's I don't know. funny. So, Mr. Comptroller, you let me ask you that question, too. Right. So, I, for some reason, I always say Mr. Comptroller. I don't know why that rolls off right. the tongue better for me. How do most people address you? They say Comptroller Hager, yeah, Mr. Yeah, most people are asked the question, go... What do I say? Everybody asks I mean, that question. I mean, that's really the question. And I just say, just call me Glenn. It's easier. Titles aren't that big of a deal. But most, yeah, some will say Mr. Some say Controller. Some say Comptroller. Mr. Comptroller. Uh, a lot of people still say Senator just because I was in the Senate. Sure. You don't ever lose, lose that. So they that's say, I, li- I like that title better <laughs> than, than comp- Controller people say. So it, it's kind of funny. It's just a, a variety of all kinds of names. If you're not facing them and you hear it from behind, you already kind of can you classify the person by what they say? If it's controller, Mister Comptroller, Glenn, are you already kind of <laughs> thinking? Oh, I already know what I'm in for. Depending on what they call you, <laughs> it, it it depends on uh, if you recognize that voice. Yeah. Uh, right. you know how it is. You've been around here long enough. You recognize a lot of people's voices, or even back home or in the building. Yeah, you can hear those lobbyists sneaking up. Oh on yeah. You. Oh yeah. I don't have to hear you talk to hear you coming. <laughs> So your your grandfather was a, a Baptist preacher. How mm-hmm. how has that affected how how you approach uh, politics? Is there a place for your faith in public service? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a uh, place for your faith in everything that you do. Um, I, I will back up and say yes. My grandfather, from my mom's side, he was a Baptist preacher, so um, I grew up in listening to him and his sermons quite a bit over time and then he moved away they moved off to Nashville when I was I guess nine but the imprint was still there and we talked pretty frequently up until he passed away a year ago and kind of his he really had a big impact and plus other family members growing up I I think that someone in politics especially um you know, a lot of politicians wear their faith kind of on their shoulder, and the and the question is, is do you practice what you preach? And growing up, I had thought about going into the ministry, but I did not in part because I thought, well, how do I get up and talk in front of a bunch of people when I've got all these flaws? Um, which, you know, sure. at the time, what I guess I didn't appreciate as a kid, well, we all have those flaws. And so for me, I feel as though... My faith is important, obviously, number one for me and my family. And I think that it's important in your career as well, in politics also, because that has a certain subsect of values, and those values are who I am. And those values go into, obviously, decision-making processes. But I think it's equally important that you're mindful and respectful that other people have different values too. Sure. And, but I think that... 
it's important to have an open dialogue and discussion because I think that's when you really learn who the fabric of somebody is. Well, and to your point, as a Christian, I think the best way to um, convey your belief system to someone else is, is by providing a good example. Yeah, I think, right? it's, I think it's through your actions and inactions. That's right. And that's, that's exactly what it is. Well, you know, a nod to Allison, who's not here, the crack intern from the University of Texas. She did um, um, let me know about Glenn's weekly verse. Mm-hmm. While we're on the topic, oh, yeah. how does While someone sign up for that? Yeah, just go to uh, com and, and it's we, not just your quotes. I mean, these yeah. are from no, these from are these are different Bible. Passages, yeah, these are not these just are things different. you've said. No, these are different. They're Bible passages that uh, we put out versus whether it's uh, email them or put them out on Facebook and Twitter every single Sunday. And you know what's interesting is um, there are some of my long-term constituents that I've had in the when I was in the Senate district that I'll run into and people tell me how they read those every single Sunday. And and of all the things they want to talk about, I, I can think of a few off the top of my head who have mentioned this, that that's what I read of your post every single Sunday or of all the posts that you put out, that's the one that I always look at, which is, which is really kind of cool and that's really awesome. kind of neat. It's flattering. Yeah. Yeah. It's and so I, I, you know, I always, uh, those are important, important to me. And um, I did notice. I thought it was interesting with with kind of the bio that she put together. There were some things I was like, huh, how'd she find that out? <laughs> she must be from good <laughs> stock. Where, where, I'm, where, I'm pretty impressed. Where did she get that info it's, from? It's that political communications <laughs> major. Uh, and, well, in, in having something like that, I mean, not to make it seem like a commercial venture, but it's kind of like having a benchmark. I yeah. mean, with your job, people are intimidated probably to come up oh and talk gosh. with you. But the Bible, something yeah. they believe in, you believe right. in, it's very unifying. And right. the words, the words impact everybody individually, but also communally. And so, I mean, I bet people are thankful that that's there, not only to let them reflect, but it also gives them some right. small talk in a way. Yeah, to yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of it. Small talk. Uh, one thing that that I put out is a monthly email to my staff inside the building, a little bit. Hey, what's going on from from me, the controller? Here's what I've been doing. Here's what I've been working on. Uh, here's kind of what we got coming on next month. That you know, for me and myself, uh, the the biennial revenue estimate. You know, that was kind of one uh, months ago. I talked about managing expectations. That was kind of the title, as I'd been giving a lot of speeches, talking to mem- members and leadership, kind of managing the expectations of what's going to come this <laughs> session. So there would be no surprise that. You're going to have a little bit less money than you did two years ago. But then also in that email, I put a lot about myself and my family sure. just because I think it tears down kind of who you are. It gives you something when you run into somebody in the hallway, something to talk about. You know, you have those communication points. And I just think as long as just try to be real to people. Yeah. Um, you're a human being just like everybody it's else. important. Yeah, very we're, important. We're all te- Do you mind if I – where does that deficit come from? I mean, it's not you didn't do it. It's not like you lost the money. It's it's less money collected, correct? Yeah, there, it's a. Con- I know everyone wants to yeah, know. It, in essence, this upcoming biennium, where the legislature is working on the state budget right now for the next two year budget that starts September one of this year and then runs for the next two years. In essence, they have about two point seven percent less than they did for the current two year budget, and it's convergence of three factors really. One. We've had less revenue coming in the Treasury than we had anticipated, and real all economists had anticipated the impact of the oil and gas industry, the downturn 
and manufacturing has had an equal downturn. Uh, what oil and gas has lost roughly about 100,000 jobs since the downturn, and manufacturing has lost 60,000 jobs in Texas. But what, what is an interesting note is that Texas has gained jobs 20 out of the last 21 months. And if you look at our other sister states that, that have energy, uh, oil and gas energy as well, every one of those states are still negative jobs where we've created 200,000 jobs in the last 12 months. So it, it's interesting to compare us to the other states. Obviously, we're the 10th largest economy, which is way bigger than you can add all of them together practically, and they're still right. not equal to this economy. But even though we have job creation, that's what I try to make a point a lot of times, people, that doesn't necessarily translate into the Treasury dollars. And so the impact of the downturn of manufacturing and oil and gas, which are two of the largest contributors to our gross state product in this state, that has caused a significant decrease in revenues coming in the Treasury, which we did not forecast two years ago. We knew it would be a slowdown, but the slowdown's been longer than we had anticipated. So that's, that's one factor. A second factor is, I don't know if yourself or anybody listening has ever been stuck in traffic. If you nah. say, uh, oh, no, really, <laughs> or about didn't been down a state road that needed to be repaired. So the legislature is putting more money into roads over the course of many sessions. And last session, the voters overwhelmingly approved a constitutional amendment to dedicate $2.5 billion a year towards roads that comes from sales tax collection. Well, why is sales tax collection important? Because that is the main source of revenue to your state government. So when we hit $28 billion in revenue, and starting this current fiscal year, when uh, the, they put the new budget together, $2.5 billion up to will be dedicated to roads. So the growth in sales tax over the course of the next two years that would normally be available for them across the street in the building for general purpose spending for education, for Medicaid, what, whatever they're going to spend it on, that money's already pre-spent. Wow. But it is an important criterion that I mentioned frequently from a credit rating standpoint you have to keep up your infrastructure. You know, and any society that doesn't keep up their infrastructure is going to fall apart and deteriorate. I mean, it's a life cycle. And so we as a state need to put money into roads. And so it just comes at a time when we have a downturn in the economy. Um, so that, that's factor two. And then factor three is we have less cash carryover balance from one biennium to the next than what we had two years ago. And again, that's that's a factor of downturn in the economy and a few others. But, you know, the fact is, this is different than in 03 or 11 when we had what we call revenue shortfalls or less money, where we had to cut money then just to pay the bills for the next eight months to sure. get out of the current budget cycle. That doesn't exist now. So it's going to make job in the pink building harder but they'll they'll get through this the pink building the capital that's right that's which right. we're across the street from so i suspect there there are some folks listening who have finally put it together that what your job is you, you are the guardian of the state treasury would yeah. you put it that way yeah yeah that that's that's one aspect of it you know i always talk about having three core constitutional duties and not necessarily in a particular order is uh we run the finance treasury part for the state of texas which uh, some people ask me say oh it, so what do you do? And I said, I manage a small accounting shop. Well, how small is that accounting <laughs> shop? And I said, it's just $105 billion a year. I mean, that's all we write. You know, 12 million payments for $105 billion, and it, it's small. And how and many just, employees? Yeah, yeah, we're roughly uh, 2,800 employees. And then in any given moment, we may have at least 100 to 400 contractors coming through the building at peak seasons for different things. So it, it's a lot of activity, 25 divisions. The finance, treasury, also tax collection. 
Somebody's got to collect the taxes. And then thirdly, the last thing is the revenue estimator, you know, just monitoring what's the economy and monitoring and estimating how much money will come in so they can make prudent decisions across the roadway over here when they put that one thing that they have to do to get every two years. The only thing they have to do is pass the state budget. So as we've mentioned previously, well, do you get to show, rolling around it. Do you get to roll around in it? <laughs> I all wish. that dough. I will was say there, a, there, I mean, there like, was, you know, the uh, legislature, <laughs> and I will, I'll mention this word, and we won't get off onto this subject uh, for a variety of reasons uh, because we've been working on this project. Can't say much about it, but the legislature put me in charge of the gold bullion depository, which we've we've been working on, and I can't really say anything because we're in the RFP process. But driving up up to Austin one day, I had the thought. I thought, you know, I need to do like a YouTube video on the gold bullion depository and then I, we also have what's called unclaimed property so if you put a utility deposit down somewhere you move to another location you forgot to get your deposit that's your money you had insurance proceeds that's your money and if it didn't get to you then what do they do with it the companies they turn it over if they can't find you to the state we hold it and then we advertise all the time and return your money to you and, you know last year i think we returned 270 million the website's great. It's easy. Oh, it's easy. Get it's your money, so, it's, Texas yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, claim it, Texas. Claim it, Texas. Get your money. Get your money. <laughs> Get your money. Uh, we might have to think about that. That's a good slogan. That's a great ad. But but what I did was is we have some unclaimed property. Somebody had left a little bar that um, they put it in a safe deposit box. Gold bar. Gold bar. Hmm. Yeah, about you know hmm. this big, this thick, worth hmm. a quarter of a million dollars. Whoa! Another Better person had to, do, to South, do your job. <laughs> oh, they they had all these a couple of different people had different coins and safe deposit box. So anyway, we got about one point two million in gold. So I put that gold on my desk, and we did a gold video. So I didn't roll around in it. A couple of people put you know sent me some pics after that. You know the what is it Donald Duck diving? Yeah, in Scrooge okay. McDuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scrooge, Scrooge McDuck. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. His his miserly uncle. Yes. So that's as close as I've come to rolling around in it. Well, but it was pretty cool to have a million dollars in gold sitting and, and, on your desk. And you've got a great picture of Jonah sitting at your desk, yeah, my too, son. right? With all that gold in yeah, front of him with that he, grin on his face. He was grinning. And we <laughs> went to, uh, the staff went to put it back together. And I said, no, 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 we need to inventory it, don't we? And they said, yeah, we'll do it back in the in the safe room. I said, no, you better do it now. Because my son is eyeing that yeah. gold. <laughs> and each one of those coins is worth about 1700 bucks. Right. And I don't want to be on the way home this afternoon. And he said, daddy. Look what I got. <laughs> I'm not driving it back here to apologize. So shake We're going to inventory it right now. Did you, by his ankles. There you go. Shake him. <laughs> yeah. See it comes out. So you, you mentioned the revenue estimate. And, and so uh, most people probably aren't aware that when the legislature comes in town every other year, right. like you said, the one thing they have to do is – is pass a budget. That's it. So, and that budget has to last for two years. They right. write a two-year budget. Right. And so your job is to tell them how much money they have to spend. Right. Right. Do they listen to you? Well, they have to. There's no There's okay. no choice. There's. You know, the fact is they have two constitutional constraints. Number one, what was the budget from last cycle? Then multiply that times population, inflation, personal income growth in the state of Texas. So the state budget can't grow more than the citizens' personal income for the state. So that's one limit. And then the second limit is the revenues that come into the state treasurer. And so since we estimate that, here's the amount of money that you have to live within. And obviously, if the economy changes here while we're here, then I'll give an update at the end of session. Two years ago, I did not because the controlling limit was what they were constrained by, by personal income growth. It wasn't my number because we had so much more money 
mm-hmm. than they could have actually appropriated. At that time, I think their their spending limit from the constraint of what was the prior budget was like $108 billion, and at the time my estimate was 113. Well, obviously that was too high. Right. It was much closer to the 108 that they had. Normally it's the limit we give, but sometimes it's the personal income growth limit. And so most people probably also don't don't realize that because we mix our terms up, I think a lot of right. times is is at the national level, at the federal level, we have a, what is it, a $14 trillion debt at this point, somewhere around there Bigger. and growing yeah, I think it's every like day. 18, yeah. 18 trillion yeah. Trillion. Say that. With a T. I hate the T word. And I hate that I've heard it more in the last three months than I've heard it in my whole life. And I I gauge things like that. I remember when I was getting out of school in the 90s, going off to college, I started hearing the B word a lot. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, it catches your eye because it's a staggering number. And everyone's throwing around 30 trillion this. Oh, we'll cut it to 20 trillion. I mean, you think about in, in, in 2002. Did you hear the word trillion? No, not me. But here we are, and it, it's a new day. And I mean, how does a state like Texas continue to stay on top? I mean, we've had a just impressive run of growth, as you pointed out. It continues. We keep adding jobs, and the sectors are new and improved. They're not the old standbys for Texas. Texas is an innovative state. What about five years from now? Ten years? How does it? Even when you're out way out of office, right. how does it continue that way? Is it possible? Well, look, I'm, I went to this debt clock. Actually, it's almost twenty trillion. <sighs> twenty trillion dollars. Nineteen point nine six three nine zero two nine, and the and the numbers keep going. It's pretty phenomenal to watch this online. Sometimes it depresses you. But um, to answer your question, Charlie, yes. is you know Texas, we're blessed in the aspect that we have to have a balanced budget. So the fact is, you have to live within those two constant constitutional constraints texas overall it's interesting to see like i mentioned earlier these other energy states are so-called as i i term them our sister energy states obviously their economy is much smaller than texas but number like two, oklahoma name, yeah oklahoma, like oklahoma okay. louisiana new mexico wyoming north dakota alaska those states are much smaller than us for an economy but they're not nearly as diverse so this oil impact significantly hit us but our economy is so much more diverse. You have places like here in Austin, San Antonio, the Metroplex. I mean, you look around, you go, huh, what what downturn in the oil? Right. That's you know, right. and so even though Houston was down, Permian Basin is down, Eagleford Shell is down, and, and some other, obviously, places in Texas. But the fact is, is it's much more diverse. And, and I think what benefits the state is a couple things. One, that diversity that, that has been built up over time. Two, and even importantly, as I mentioned, that constraint that you have to have a balanced budget. And we have, you know, we're blessed as a state to have a younger demographic, so you have a workforce into the future. And I think all, a combination of all these things really is one of the reasons that every day people move to Texas to create, you know, have a job or to create a new business. And, and as long as you're continuing to grow, that economy continues to turn. And we're going to have downturns, don't get me wrong, because we're not immune to the national and global woes, but we are blessed, and right now, with the new uh, innovations in the oil industry, not to keep talking about them too much, but we have this nice play in West Texas that I think is ironic right. that some of the companies you've heard announcements that have bought back into it, sure, they sold all that in the 80s because they thought it was over. That's right. Now they're paying billions to come back in. Right. And, you know, 49% of all the active rigs in the U.S. are in Texas. So we're we're much more blessed 
Dallas two. We're gonna have to get that series going. Yeah, yeah there you go. You know those, <laughs> well, they those, tried those those oh, gold those gold yeah, towers. Offered. They're still there. Gold towers. What are you yeah, talking? Yeah, that's about? where that's where Jr. worked. Oh, that uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so tell me, it, the Texas economy is the tenth largest economy right. in, in the, the world. world. Right, one point six trillion dollar economy. Run. 140 days every other year. I know. Isn't that interesting? On a balanced budget. Right. So why can't those monkeys in Washington, D.C. figure out how to balance a budget? It is It is pretty amazing. Um, you know, one, I think Congress has gone so long with not having, having to have a balanced budget. And so the whole, it's systemic in the system. And it's amazing Give an to inch, me. kind of. Yeah. I, I just... There's all these kind of gimmicks that have been done over time and trying to undo that. You know, I think it's important where you start with a solid foundation, and that foundation up there was never set strong enough to where they had to have a balanced budget and a deficit. You know, go and take the uh, Social Security fund, the trust fund that's already been spent on other items, and right. it's not there. Is that where the lack of trust comes from, you think? <laughs> you think state <laughs> from representatives? The I mean, I think I feel like sometimes sure. if you're a politician in Texas, you may take a little heat just from the national reputation. And, I mean, right now, what's your, what's your opinion of the new uh, administration? Well, I like what they've done here recently. I think they've taken some pretty bold steps real quick. As comptroller. Uh, it, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's been interesting – here in the first few days, but what's been in office for three days now. So, <laughs> or like the, I guess this is the fourth day. Right. So, we'll, you know, it, people ask me, do you ever want to go to D.C.? And I, I really, as a tourist, that's about <laughs> it. Um, They've know, got some nice yeah, museums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go to the museums with right. the family, but that's about it. That's as much as I want to spend in D.C. Sure. Did you endorse Donald Trump? I, you know, interestingly, uh, endorsement, I supported him, voted for him without a doubt uh, once he became the Republican nominee, supporting him. But, um, you know, nobody, as we said earlier, controller, comptroller, nobody even knows who I am. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's amazing. So an endorsement for me, wh what does that mean? Yeah. It doesn't even get a press release, right. uh, which is, right. you know, kind of ironic and, and comical. But, um, you know, the endorsement, you know, the Trump administration didn't come knocking saying, hey, Glenn Hager, yeah. we need your endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> You're well, the key. What, what the hell were they thinking? And, and in Texas, Texas is, you know, such a red state that they didn't need a whole lot out of Texas anyway. No. So when you're not rolling in gold over at the comptroller's <laughs> yes. office, what do you do for fun? Oh, really, uh, you know, for me, my wife and I, we enjoyed to travel a little bit when we were younger and before we had, let's see, Claire, Julia, and Jonah, <laughs> uh, our three kids. And so now, really, and I love to hunt, love to fish, love to be outdoors. I worked in the yard all day Saturday, which was just nice to be outdoors. But the next morning when I took the dog out uh, in the backyard, I kind of bent over to see if I how much I could stretch. And I think I made it about 20 <laughs> degrees. And so I'm getting older now. I don't move as like I used to. You need a hammock. Yeah, yeah, I need posture. a hammock, I tell you. But, um, you know, I love to be outdoors. I like to hunt, fish. My wife and I like to travel with the kids now a little bit, introduce them. But really my hobbies are, are Claire, Julia, and Jonah. Whatever they want to do, we like to sure. do. So okay. that's uh, – you know, he said the outdoors, which reminds me of a story, uh, and I still think there's photographic evidence of the the damage that you did to yourself. We were oh. in Colorado, this about a decade ago, and uh, we had taken the four-wheelers up into the mountain and, and spent most of the day riding four-wheelers right. up through the mountain, and going up, you're going up a mountain, right? So you're going pretty slow. Well, coming down, 
you can pick up some pretty good speed, right? And so um, I think at one point he he and through the trees. Bear in mind, you as in really tight trees and tall trees, (laughs) and then in some in this one particular spot, it was almost going down the ski slope over a bunch of modals, you know, where it's just really really rough, and that's what it was. And yeah, boy. you know, the, the teenage kid came back out in Glen Hager and thought, you know, this thing has got to go faster. I mean, it <laughs> has to go faster. It has to go all out. Oh, my femurs are burning. And it did. And, um, you know, we hit one of them bumps, and I flipped over, and the box on the back went one way, and I went another way, and the four-wheeler still sitting upside down. And, I mean, it literally knocked me out for a few seconds. And when I came to, I don't think I was speaking – plain English. I think <laughs> no. it was gibberish. Um, my side went over. I broke the, one of the handles with my side. And I'll never forget my wife. I told her, I said, hey, you know, had, had, a, had a, a minor turnover on the four-wheeler. And when I got <laughs> home, you know, so many days later and <laughs> and I showed her my side and she said, you call that minor? <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't want to tell you. Yeah, it um, looked like it hurt. I did over the phone and also didn't want to cry in front of everybody. So. Oh, yeah, God. that was awful. <laughs> oh. Well, I remember coming over the, I think he had passed Did you me. laugh or give help? He was behind I, I, me. I was a bit scared. I was behind him and, and he, had, he fl- flew by me and went over the hill and I come over the hill and all, all I see is dust everywhere, right? And the four-wheeler's over there, the box is over there, and the comptroller's sitting on, at that time, Senator Hager, sitting over on the side, standing there kind of surveying everything. And I I stopped my four-wheeler, turned it off. I said, what happened? And the response was something to the effect of, (laughs) it's kind of like the, you know, when Charlie Brown's talking to the teacher on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it sounded like. The reset button had been hit. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was scary. It was scary. So uh, we've taken up enough of your time. One of the things that we're we're starting a tradition here, all of our guests who come in, we want them to think about this ahead of time. And I asked you to do this and and, uh, we want to share some words of wisdom Mm -hmm. with our listeners, whether that be you know, just words you live by or a Bible verse or a quote from a favorite author. So what do you got for us to close yeah, this show uh, today? T- two different things, if I can add two, even though you asked sure. one, is that uh, inscribed on our, our wedding rings, my wife and I have uh, 1 John 4.12 inscribed. And, and essentially what the sum of it is, is, you know, we through his love, we're complete. And, and really, that's unconditional love. And, uh, and, uh, and, and obviously, a marriage is not always unconditional love. Um, <laughs> and it is a marriage. But, but, you know, that was something that, that we inscribed and in trying to teach in your kids. You know, you may, you, may not, you may not like your sister at this moment or your brother. You may be mad at them. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is your family. And, and you really need to learn to turn another cheek or if somebody does something to you. And, you know, vengeance isn't yours. Um, and that, that's one thing. But then also another one. I read this in a book and, and I've kind of changed the way, the way they say it, but the sum of it is, is the weight of your problems, you know, in other words, you say, okay, what weighs on your mind and weighs on your soul. It's not really the size of the problems that's weighing on your mind and your soul, but it's really kind of the smallness of your spirit. And, and I've always loved that phrase because whatever problem you have in life and, and you got different ones as you go through life, but they're always something that troubles you. And, and, and at, at the turn, people focus on that, but you need to flip it back over and go, well, wait, is it really the size of my spirit that's not enabling me to kind of handle and 
work through this problem at hand. And I just, I've always loved that phrase. That one just, I think at the end of the day, when, you know, something's really bothering you and you think, oh my gosh, this problem is so big. And you go, wait, maybe I just need to take a deep breath and, and breathe about this. And do I really have enough faith that we're going to get over what this issue is? Because you're not going to tackle it by yourself. It gives you tingles a little bit when you think about it that way, because I mean, it puts it back on you. It's well, or am I just making excuses? Right, right, right. That's exactly right. Hmm. Well, Mr. Comptroller, good to be with y'all. Thank you for your time today. Yes. You've been listening to the Trey Blocker Show. Please subscribe, and we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Trey Blocker Show. You can find us at treyblocker.com or through your favorite podcast listening app.